Let's start with prayer, and then we'll get into our scripture. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this wonderful opportunity to gather together. I pray that it will be a fruitful time, a wonderful time of fellowship and growth uh, towards uh, becoming more and more like you, and that we will see the kingdom of God come uh, through our conversation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to start with this scripture in uh, Judges 4, um, just as a uh, preface, maybe I should have said this when you walked in, uh, this scripture is a little bit of a PG-13 scripture, so uh, involves involves some violence and some blood, um, <laughs> and in the spirit of um, us being a smaller group today, I was wondering if I could get five volunteers to read five verses this is the word of the Lord. <laughs> All right. So, uh, as you can see, it's kind of a, a different passage. Um, <laughs> and, and oftentimes you'll see the interpretation of this. Uh, jail gets a bad rap for this. Uh, I'm going to take kind of a different approach today. So, uh, we're going to kind of jump into this only murderers in the camp. I've been watching only murderers in uh, only murderers in the building on Hulu. So uh, definitely been that's been on my mind. Has anybody seen that? It's got like Martin Short, Selena Gomez. Yeah, it's it's like a murder mystery where people obviously die. Spoiler. Yeah, Steve Martin and Martin Short are really really good together. But um, what's interesting is in that. Um, uh, I think also, side notes, what contributes to this is like Selena Gomez, Martin Short, and Steve Martin are all like executive producers, so they're kind of doing whatever the heck they want, and <laughs> it makes it really entertaining. But um, in the murder mystery, I find myself looking at the background, the linguistics, it's like something someone could say, or there's like an Easter egg in every single corner. You don't know what it might be, the environment, the context clues. Um, there's a whole episode where I'm not spoiling anything, I promise, but there's a whole episode where there's no talking because they're trying to take the posture of a deaf character in it, and so you're like hyper aware of everything that's happening in there. Um, and I found it interesting that I was reading, or as I was watching, because when I was preparing for this sermon, I was kind of doing similar things, but just looking at the Bible. Uh, so we're going to look at the context and linguistics and background of judges to start. Um, so uh, first of all, if you don't know, judges is right after Joshua. So as far as the timeline goes, uh, it's right after Joshua. Joshua just led the tribes of Israel into the promised land, uh, calling on them to be faithful to their covenant with God. Uh, spoiler alert, that does not really happen. So the book of Judges begins with the death of Joshua and tells a story of Israel's basically complete failure. Uh, and it is also right before the anointing of King Saul, um, just in case you need a timeline. Um, the book's name comes from the types of leaders Israel has uh, in this period. Uh, before they had kings, the tribes of Israel were ruled by judges. But as you probably already know, don't think of fancy robes or endearing courtrooms. Uh, these judges were more regional, political, uh, military leaders. Uh, so ultimately, Judges is kind of a tragic tale of just Israel's moral corruption, bad leadership, 
uh, and how they actually didn't really come any different than what their uh, Canaanite enemies were um, in the long run. Uh, the book of Judges also explores uh, the hum- humanity's tendency to trust themselves over God. Um, and this habit highlights humanity's need for God's grace and a future king, as we will see uh, in the next, I guess, half of the Bible, New Testament. Uh, some of the things include, uh, as I've already stated, betraying God's instruction, uh, Israel's kind of consistent self implosion or self destruction. And also Israel's need for God's intervention or rescuing of them. It's debated who wrote the book of Judges. Some people say Samuel. Other authorship is just not explicitly stated in the book. Um, It's mostly a narrative with some poetry, as the chapter right after the one we have is a song, uh, which basically retells, chapter 5 retells the same story that will happen in chapter 4 through song. also has hyperlinks to Psalms. And basically how it's set up is, uh, as you could tell, some of this had it in the beginning of the chapter is the beginning of the book is a lot of history, a lot of so-and-so killed so-and-so or something like that. And then it goes on to the rise and fall of the judges, including um, some more popular judges. Well, I don't know if they're popular, but uh, Samson is one of them is what I was meaning. Uh, what'd you say? George Red. <laughs> Uh, so to wrap, to wrap up the contextual layout of Judges, um, I want to point out in the Bible, uh, especially the Old Testament, we see this like repetitive structure or narrative um, of the Adam-Eve story. So you have like these chaos creatures, which oftentimes are uh, interpreted into our modern English language as snakes. Um, In past translations, they have been referred to as just monsters or sometimes dragons as well. Um, But there are these metaphorical snakes. Um, And so we'll see this retelling over and over again in the Old Testament of the Adam-Eve story in different ways. Uh, So think of it as like a chaos creature that we know as a snake um, in the Adam-Eve story that causes deception, causing the humans to die. Um, as it gets retold, you'll see it take different, uh, different shapes and forms, uh, but it is the same story, and it's important because it's really just showing the redemption of God, uh, or the mission of God that shows redemption of all creation over and over again. Uh, so I just want to, like, invite you to kind of, as we go through this story, um, to look for chaos creatures within this as well as um, how the Adam-Eve story is retold through it. So um, now that we've gone through the background, we've read it. I'm going to kind of go cliff notes because uh, there's a lot of, it was the whole chapter, so a lot of information in there. So we're just going to go cliff notes through it, make sure we're all on the same page. Um, So we start off, Deborah was God's prophet and judge. Uh, Deborah was known as being an incredible leader, had a very close relationship with God, and spoke God's word to the Israelites. Um, the story also begins with the typical cycle of sin and oppression and repentance in Israel. Um, some important things to note is that Israelites were oppressed by Jabin, the king of Canaan, and his commander Sisera. I don't know why the 900 chariots of iron is important, but it is. Um, and for 20 years, they were oppressing the Israelites. Um, so 
Deborah told Barak that God said, hey, you need to take 10,000 chariots and uh, go after them, but uh, Barak was not so confident. So Barak said, Deborah, you come by my side, then I'm willing to go. Uh, Only then will they go. Uh, And Deborah finally kind of says, sure, but you're not going to get any credit for it, Um, which is important to note just because uh, in that time, obviously, they're in a patriarchal society. So it was a system in which if the women were getting the credit for it, uh, it was not necessarily liked by the men. I mean, you can probably see that in today's age as well. So um, it wasn't just someone else was getting credit for it, but there's an added mix to it. Same time, uh, you probably have already noticed, having Deborah in jail, the victors of the story, is another way uh, God's showing the redemptive of cultures in this. So as Sisera's army was trapped, Sisera flees to the Kenites. Um, the Kenites were uh, allies with the Canaanites. Um, this goes back to Cain. Or Cain um, kind of had like a good branch and a bad branch, um, but they were allies. Uh, this means they were both against the Israelites um, in this situation, and so they were opposed to God's people. That's why Sisera thought, you know, I'm good. I can go hang out with these people. They're not going to do anything. So uh, Jael the Canaanite comes uh, and says, come over to my tent, feeds them, um, houses Sisera. Sisera goes to sleep, and then bam, Jael just takes that stake and drives it right through his head. It's crushing his head completely. I mean, I'm trying not to visualize it too much, but that sounds kind of terrifying. Terrible way to die. Um, and so that's, that's our Cliff Notes version, and I think that maybe we should, any, anytime someone says there's not, like, interesting stuff in the Bible, I'm sorry, like, there is, you just <laughs> might not be interested in it. Um, but you got every type of story in the Bible. So uh, Deborah's story, kind of quick, or not recap, but quick um, evaluation of Deborah's story. We see that um, within her existence, uh, God can redeem uh, people from their culture, even if it's oppressive, um, as he gave Deborah a high position, um, and also shows the importance of having male and female representation in our leadership. but also, Deborah didn't have to compromise who she was to get that position either. So her uh, ability to lead uh, greatly enhanced her patriarchal uh, culture, even though she did not necessarily benefit from that. We look at jail. Uh, we kind of learn from jail that God can redeem any story or situation, uh, no matter what the relationship with God is. Uh, Jael is a part of the redemption story because Jael is a Kenite that kills Sisera, the Canaanite, who they're allies. It didn't make sense. They were both working to enslave the Israelites. uh, And by doing this, uh, it kind of redeemed her story um, because they're in opposition to God's people. And it delivered God's people. Um, So there's one uh, more piece, as I've already mentioned, that is... uh, really significant in this story. So because Jael comes from uh, the line of Cain, um, if you don't remember, uh, Cain is a callback to earlier in Scripture uh, when Cain used deception and killed his brother before before being cast out into the wilderness. Um, 
that same story is kind of interesting because they, God like says he's going to protect Cain, but also is casting Cain out. And so here we see a redemption of Cain's lineage. Um, and so earlier when I mentioned the, the story, a uh, search for the chaos monster, um, there are multiple maybe chaos monsters in this story. Uh, Jabin, um, who Cicero was kind of working for, which as a side note for any Bible nerds that want to know this, Jabin was actually already defeated. So there's a little bit of confusion of like, like earlier on in Scripture, Jabin was defeated. So some historians believe it was a dynasty they were talking about. Some people believe that it was another case of the Israelites saying, we plundered a village and they didn't really do that. Um, it was them writing their own history. So uh, anyways, Jabin was a chaos monster who was employing another chaos monster, Sisera, uh, and that's the active chaos monster. Uh, but when the beauty of the story comes in is if we take in the Adam-Eve story and we view Sisera as a um, chaos monster, uh, we see a reversal of the Adam-Eve story here. Um, because how does Jael kill Sisera? She uses deception, which is opposite of the snake using deception against Adam Eve. So what did she do specifically? She also crushed his head. So she crushed the snake's head, which is also a callback to Genesis when God said that the woman would crush the head of the snake for generations. So again, we have this story of the Adam Eve story being retold and it being reversed, God redeeming um, all creation. So Jael used this counter deception of the deceiver to then crush uh, the head of the snake. So in this story, Jael uh, really automatic, uh, ultimately um, shows redemption in her own lineage, which shows that no one is actually beyond redemption. Um, there's also some modern day stories I think are similar. Uh, one of this is from my favorite show, one of my favorite shows, it's up there, Avatar The Last Airbender. Has anyone seen Avatar The Last Airbender? It's a cartoon. Uh, it's, some people call it anime, but it's technically not considered anime. Uh, it was on Nickelodeon. Um, if you don't know, it's like an Asian inspired uh, show that people can use like I guess telekinetically, they can like manipulate the classic elements of air, water, earth, and fire. Um, it follows a uh, airbender named Aang, but he's also the avatar, so he's learning all the different elements and how to manipulate them. He's with some cool friends, Katara, Sokka, Toph. Um, but ultimately the storyline goes uh, that Aang has to stop the Fire Nation from conquering all of the nations uh, to end the Hundred Year War. Uh, I am about to go into some spoilers, but at the same time, the show was released in 2005, so if you haven't seen it, it's kind of on you at this point. Um, so uh, we're going to get into the story of Prince Zuko. So uh, Prince Zuko is uh, the son of the Fire Nation. So uh, to keep this in mind, uh, Hang's whole story is to defeat the Fire Nation, Prince Zuko is basically the heir to the throne of the Fire Nation. Um, and uh, most of the story, Zuko is an uh, antagonist against Aang. His job from his father is to go capture Aang. 
Um, but you see Zuko's character development through the story where slowly he realizes his father's tyranny, um, his sister's cruelty, um, and begins to grasp his own morality. He also forms a really great bond with his uncle Iroh, which is uh, kind of just like an enlightening relationship for him, Um, and ultimately joins Aang's group and teaches Aang how to firebend. Um, and in an even greater redemptive turn, uh, helps Aang defeat his own father and end the Hundred Years' War. Uh, he ended up becoming the new Fire Lord and bringing true priests and harmony to the world. So, uh, Prince Zuko's journey in the beginning uh, was being obsessed and kind of ruthless with trying to destroy the Avatar, and it ends up becoming a compassionate ally of the Avatar. Um, so this story is kind of similar to Jail's, as in he was an opponent of the, the heroic story, um, but then became an ally, just like Jail became. Um, highly recommend if you do watch that show to kind of watch the redemptive story through Zuko. It is one of the many storylines in the show uh, that is very, very deep uh, and you can learn a lot from. So ultimately these two stories, uh, even though one does not come from a Christian background, uh, teach us about how we're supposed to be agents of peace and justice in the world. Uh, Most often, this looks like participating in the mission of God, which is redeeming and reconciling all creation. So if this is true, if if it is true that we are supposed to participate in redeeming and reconciling all creation, uh, how how might that affect how we live every day? So um, as I close this portion, I invite you to kind of reflect um, on these questions. How can you be an agent of peace and justice in your world? What story in your life might you, by, might you be looking for redemption? It can be something in your personal life. It can be something in the communal life. Um, how can you co-labor with God in bringing about redemption in these situations? So uh, here in a moment, we'll get back into our discussion group and kind of talk about, um, share with, Um, each other about what are some things we're looking or hoping for redemption in. Um, For me, there's there's a small-scale one of um, a relationship with a family member that I would love to see some redemption in that relationship and some um, reconciliation there. Um, On a large scale, I really hope that there is some redemption with the climate crisis as a large-scale thing for me. Um, So I invite you to get back into your groups, um, and we'll kind of discuss this uh, question of what you want to see redeemed in the world, um, and feel free to share how you think you can do it if you'd like. Um, And we'll do that until the kids come back because they'll come back in about three minutes.